0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. As Congress debates whether to raise the debt ceiling, as the Treasury warns, the nation will start defaulting on its financial obligations uh, in July. Uh, the Congressional Budget Office is warning that the national debt will grow by another $19 trillion over the coming decades. Meanwhile, in the wake of the Chinese spy balloon uh, that overflew the United States, Congress uh, is united in further uh, in calling for further defense budget increases as the Biden administration prepares to submit its Uh, defense budget request uh, that is expected to be larger than last year's. President Biden has said vital intelligence was gathered in the course of the spy balloons overflight over the United States and that three uh, other unidentified craft uh, downed over Alaska, Canada and uh, Lake Huron were likely not spy craft. He added that the United States would define new rules uh, regarding what craft uh, should be allowed to overfly the nation and which ones uh, shot down, uh, some of which would remain uh, classified. But he also called for U.S. Uh, as well as global standards for weather balloons, given there are so many uh, weather balloons flying all over the world, stratospheric and otherwise. Uh, As the anniversary of its invasion of Ukraine draws near, Russia is massing capabilities as it steps up its latest offensive that is expected to include troops and aircraft uh, operating from Belarus. This as NATO nations clear more aid for Ukraine and world leaders gather in Munich for the annual security conference. This as Turkey makes clear that it will continue to block Sweden membership in the alliance, despite major moves by Stockholm to uh, suborn Swedish democracy to Ankara's uh, demands. Uh, And China, Russia and South Africa are conducting joint naval exercises and a lot more stuff going on across the Asia Pacific, including as Uh, one of uh, the president's leading uh, Asia hands, prepares to step down from her job. Joining us today to discuss all this and more are Dr. Patrick Cronin, who holds the Asia Pacific Security Chair at the Hudson Institute Think Tank, Dr. Kathleen McGinnis, the Director of the Smart Women, Smart Power uh, Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, our producer Chris Cervello, a retired United States Navy Public Affairs Officer, who was also the co-founder of the ProVision Advisors PR firm, and former Pentagon Comptroller Dr. Dov Zakheim, who counts C. CSIS uh, among his many affiliations. Certainly a good day for the CSIS crowd. Uh, Go, Dr. Hamry. Uh, Good morning, everybody, and thanks so very much for joining us. Um, Before we get started, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage, Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, ultra intelligence and communications sponsors our command and control coverage, uh, and GE Aerospace sponsors our air warfare coverage. Uh, everybody, welcome back uh, again. Pleasure to have you on, Kathleen. Thanks for making time for uh, for us today. Uh, Dove, I want to uh, start uh, off with you. Generally, uh, Iron Mike herson is the one who starts us off with the budgetary discussion. But he and uh, Jim Jim Townsend are off this week. Jim is in sunny Munich uh, uh, this week. Um, talk, you know, CBO's job, Congressional Budget Office, uh, the Congressional Budget Office's job is to objectively cost uh, government actions. And the conclusion is that the debt, which is now something like $33 trillion, uh, will grow by another $19 trillion. This comes sort of at, at the moment where, uh, you know, the GOP is pushing very, very hard, some questions being asked about the future of Social Security, uh, Medicare, and, and other uh, entitlements, while members of Congress or, or a vocal uh, majority of Congress actually are saying, hey, look, the Chinese spy balloon incident really underscores the need for more defense spending more uh, investment to improve America's deterrent. How does the CBO disclosure shape the nature of this debate? Because at the end of the day, Americans may be more wedded to social security than they are another couple of hundred billion dollars in defense spending or trillion.
1: Well, uh, first, let me uh, talk a little bit about my old outfit. I I started in Washington at CBO. These projections are put out by what's called the Budget Analysis Division. Uh, which uh, historically has had a reputation for calling it as they see them. Now the the deficit uh, in any event was gonna go up to 16 trillion. What they've demonstrated now is that it's going up another 3.1 trillion over the same 10 year period. So that's where you get your $19 trillion. But this is accelerating because since last May, CBO has said, the deficit's already gone up by four hundred billion dollars, and the reason this is happening is high interest rates, uh, and inflation is going to fear of of uh, inflation is going to continue to drive those. And uh, CBO says programs for older folks. If you put defense spending in the context of overall government spending, including Social Security and Medicare, it really isn't the one that moves the needle. Uh, But national debt, CBO saying is is 118, is gonna be 118% of gross domestic product. Uh, The deficits are gonna go up to after 2027 to nearly 7%. That's only happened five times since 1946. So this is a huge problem. Now, the one thing that mitigates this is these are what's called current law uh, projections. A projection is not a forecast. A projection says, if you simply do what you've been doing up to now and you extend it out to the future, this is what's going to happen. You can change the laws and that's going to change the projection. So that's very, very important. One other thing to point out, Senator Rick Scott, who came out for capping social and Medicare, backed off. And that goes to your point about the popularity of these programs. And nobody keeps thinking about the fact that, well, if this continues, it's just going to break the bank. Um, There are proposals out there for raising the levels of Social Security from what it is now to everybody has to start at 70 instead of waiting. If you want to get it at 70 or you want to get it earlier, you can. You got to remember when the program was started, This was the 1930s, and life expectancy was at least 10 years less than it is today. They didn't expect everybody to live to catch Social Security. That's changed, of course. But for the time being, what CBO is saying is you better watch out. We're walking closer to the cliff.
0: Uh, Chris, uh, I want to bring you in on this. Yeah, you and uh, our very own contributing editor and your co-host of the Cavas Ships podcast, Chris Cavas. well, we're at the West Conference, uh, obviously a leading event by FC and the U.S. Naval Institute. Uh, every year you had a chance to meet with uh, some very senior uh, flag officer uh, friends uh, of yours. Um, what was a little bit of the vibe, but also sort of the message on how to think about capabilities, right? Because some of the folks who were, uh, talking there are at the end of a very distant spear from Washington, uh, D.C. Bago, Doug brings up some great macro
2: themes and the ideal macro approach. W- what I heard out at West from uh, Navy and Marine Corps leaders was we need to spend more on capabilities that will have an impact now Um, We're running out of ammunition that we can provide to the Ukrainians. Um, There's a concern that we won't have enough um, ammunition um, should there be conflict in the next uh, two to five years in the Pacific So as we talk about increasing um, the defense budget, um, there really was a push on hey the you know let's not talk about 355 ships, let's not talk about um, exquisite capability that doesn't deliver for a decade. let's really talk about things that are going to have an impact. In in the next two to five years, there is a real belief from those that are focused to the west that um, we are in the back third of the Davidson window, um, and that we may not be as prepared as we um, as we could be. Um, and then there was this thought that, hey, look, if there's uh, you know if there's a silver lining to the balloon debacle, it is that maybe it helps crystallize the thinking. First, uh, up on Capitol Hill, second, in the Pentagon, and third, maybe with the the broader American public, you know, if such an audience does exist, that um, we need to be focused on the here and now, um, instead of, you know,
0: 20 years from now. And we uh, did hear a little bit of that also when uh, C.Q. Brown, um, the chief of staff of the United States Air Force, spoke at Brookings, right? I mean, the imperative... Uh, to get, you know, not just a mindset change, but feel the capabilities uh, to take uh, advantage of the deterrent. Um, you know, to 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 ensure that the United States d- continues to deter. Kathleen, uh, you until uh, relatively recently uh, were at the Congressional Research Service, uh, toiling away. Uh, you know, your fingers to 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 a nub. Uh, how 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 is it that you're uh, interpreting where we are? Uh, on uh, the debate uh, and the discussion before we go to Patrick, I want to pull him in uh, in terms of of sort of how this whole balloon incident is is shaping fundamentally the relationship uh, between uh, the United States and Beijing.
3: Well, um, yeah, I wanted to chime in on the the budget questions right now because um, while the top line is um, under consideration right now, and we're looking at the the deficit overall, and, and as Dove rightly says, we're you know, CBO is flagging that we are getting close to the cliff. Um, one of the things that I'm seeing emerging is this um, concern that DOD is spending its money on quote unquote woke programs that um, don't help you know, the military um, and undermine uh, military capability. Um, and so those are the kinds of programs and projects that might be on the chopping block as we as, as the um, members of Congress try to find ways to economize on the, on the defense spend. Um, and I just want to point out that that is a, a real shame, actually. Um, programs like Women, Peace and Security, uh, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, those kinds of things... <laughs> The bottom line is that they're about improving military effectiveness. It's about building command climates that are not toxic. Um, it's about making sure that our military and defense personnel are able to contribute their their best selves and their and therefore their best ideas and solutions to complex national security problems. So when it gets labeled as woke and and therefore. Um, uh, at risk of getting targeted for cuts. It's just a real shame because it's it's missing the point. This is about effectiveness more than anything else.
0: Uh, uh, Chris, uh, you you had your hand up for a quick interjection uh, on this. Uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with what uh,
3: Ka-
2: Kathleen was saying. I, I would say this, though, and it is important uh, the, because there is a real – I think a bona fide criticism uh, uh, with all programs that folks that are in uniform now are having to deal with. it, It really comes down to time, right? I mean, time more than money is the most critical commodity that those in uniform today are dealing with. And um, leaders need to do a better job as they layer on requirements, regardless of the requirement, um, that they do a better job of explaining to those in uniform why this will help them and what their responsibility is in this. So whether it's a new weapons training program, whether it's a new um, you, you know program that has to do with sexual assault or um, inter-command relations, w- whatever, we need to do a better job of explaining why that time is critical so that it, we we don't have these silly conversations about woke, not woke. It's all about time. And, and I go back to we we are sort of at, at that critical moment in which every bit of time we spend needs to be about making us better
0: uh and more prepared to deal with the conflict that is on the horizon. We we have treated time uh awfully for a very long period of time, right? And we heard from Vladimir Zelensky today in Munich: time is imperative. The longer it takes for you guys to give us stuff, the more people are dying, the longer this war goes on. And the shorter it is, the more quickly it's resolved, the more you leverage, for example, air power to go away from a trench warfare stalemate, uh, the better off you are. And we heard, you know, obviously uh, the chief has been talking about time as well. Uh, the dove. I'm going to bring you in. You have your hand up also on the ammunition issue. Let's bring you in before we go uh, to Patrick to talk about how the fundamental nature, and thanks for your uh, patience, Patrick, but the sort of the character and the nature of the relationship and, and where we are going now with China that is uh, particularly problematic. Go
1: ahead, Dov. Um. Yeah, uh, simply this ammunition is going to get more money in this budget, munitions and so on. The problem is, what is going to be the price of that? And, it and you know, what, what Chris heard out on the West Coast sounds good. But if you're not going to put more money in, particularly into procurement, in other words, taking things from research and actually fielding them, um, then you're going to have a problem several years down the road including against China, which I'm sure Patrick will talk about. The administration is going to increase the budget. The question is, is it simply going to increase the budget so that there's um, no real growth, but nominal growth, or will there be real growth? And then they then expect Congress to somehow add to that budget, except now you've got a Republican House. We don't know where the speaker will really come down. We don't know the influence of the budget hawks. This is a far more open question. So, yes, by all means, put money into munitions, but don't starve the procurement budget as a result. And it's not a matter of 355 ships. It's a matter of whether you can keep 300 or whatever. Uh, Look,
0: uh, right. It it is Ukraine should drive home to anybody who still doesn't get it. It is cheaper to spend enough to have that deterrent that is obvious and credible than it is to fight a war and try to win it. And ultimately, if we had deterred Russia, we wouldn't be in this position. And the key is deterring the Chinese from miscalculating. So I say, even as a person who's been a prudent spending advocate throughout his whole career, frickin' spend the money now, right? Now is not the time to penny pinch, get enough of that capability, get it forward, and don't rob Peter to pay Paul. Uh, Patrick, um, thanks very much for uh, your uh, patience. I mean, obviously, four balloons downed in a week. Uh, one a spy craft. The three others, uh, n- not so much. Uh, we think um, one in the shape of a car. The other, uh, apparently, an octagon with strings. And the other one, uh, sausage-shaped with something hanging hanging from it. Anyway, the um, President Biden addressed this uh, to the nation uh, yesterday. Uh, you know, there, there is a criticism that the administration didn't shoot it down first, although he seemed to suggest uh, that we protected our sites. We gathered an enormous amount of intelligence. It allowed us to learn uh, a lot. And obviously, we we were tracking this thing from before it left Hainan uh, Island, uh, to be honest. Um, And uh, it is helping shape the budget outlook, perceptions, sentiments. It brought the threat to the American people in a way that they wouldn't otherwise have had it. And the Chinese really have been exacerbating this, right? Going from apologetic to ratcheting up tensions and rhetoric, saying that they're going to target our satellites in space. Not quite the same thing, uh, and and also not picking up the phone. How does this one incident sort of change the whole dynamic uh, and how we need to be thinking about China and how China is going to play into this at a time when a bipartisan commission, uh, you know, bipartisan committee on Congress is stepping up its efforts.
4: Well, it's not one incident. It may be one ongoing episode, though. Um, And I think the president did a good job of trying to divide the surveillance airship that was shot down in 4 February from the other three balloons, which were either research or commercial or maybe for hobbying. Um, And I think um, there are a lot of dimensions that are unfolding from this. One of them, of course, is uh, the surveillance programs of the PLA. We're still Uh, And presumably, the government is is going all out. In fact, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, Michael Chase, is in Taiwan right now, I suspect, for among other reasons, to share intelligence and talk about uh, the Taiwan experience with Chinese PLA balloons. Um, And so we need to get to the bottom of the PLA surveillance program, whether this is the Strategic Support Force or the PLA Air Force uh, or both. We need to understand the full scope of what they've been doing over time and there is a distinction between what they did during the trump administration with this balloon that clearly went in near space 65,000 feet uh, or higher uh, across the entire united states this was the first time so gaining intelligence on what exactly the chinese might be up to with that whether it was inadvertent and blown off course maybe it was really intended to indeed spy on guam and to figure out our defenses on guam u.s territory there But either way, it was intended to uh, spy on American military bases. I think that's going to be clear in the report that will eventually have to come out here in the coming weeks. The other three research balloons are commercial balloons. Clearly, as the Defense Department, as NORAD, Northern Command, uh, as our U.S. law enforcement try to grapple with homeland security uh, in an age of increased numbers of uh, aerospace uh, threats and unidentified objects, we're going to have to have a better job of filtering out what's a threat. What's not a threat? And then if it is a threat, is there a way to take it down other than using a Sidewinder missile, uh, which seems a pretty extreme case for a a small balloon. Um, So we're gonna have to figure that out. I think the third aspect of this is uh, diplomacy. And the president has essentially enabled diplomacy to go forward. He's talking about a a discussion he will have with Xi Jinping, um, but also the fact that Secretary of State Blinken on the margins of the Munich security dialogue is likely to have a discussion with State Councilor Wang Yi, the former foreign minister of China, who is uh, trying his own charm offensive in Europe uh, this week. But at the same time, uh, they might be able to come to put U.S.-China strategic dialogue back on track. But notice, this is more of the foreign ministry track. As you pointed out, Vago, China is still resisting picking up the phone uh, to talk to DOD, and that's going to be a continuation of a, a concern about escalation around china's waters and airspace
0: and the visit to taiwan is uh significant uh isn't it
4: it is uh, especially since the the trump administration there has been a push in u.s congress and the executive branch to increase the level of uh, dialogue with taiwan Um, in 2019 there was a senior official also going at the deputy assistant secretary level um, so Michael Chase is you know, a real expert on China and all things military, um, but he is the deputy assistant secretary of defense for China. He's not the assistant secretary. And there's that level that they haven't crossed over to yet. And China would clearly notice that kind of elevated level uh, if we go up to uh, the assistant secretary level. So even though it's a high level, Uh, It's not as provocative as, say, Speaker Pelosi's visit from Beijing's perspective.
0: Um, Let me uh, quickly bring uh, Kathleen in and uh, Chris has his hand up before uh, we we go over to Dove. Go ahead, Kathleen, because I think you're interested in talking about escalation, de-escalation.
3: Oh, yeah. Just to make the point, I mean, that one of the things that has really intrigued me and, and worried me about this story is that um, the, the aspect of not being able to communicate with China uh, as the crisis was unfolding. Um, what does that mean for future conflicts and crisis de-escalation, as, as Patrick mentioned? I, I think that is an area of, for concern, and if I was in the hot seat at DOD or elsewhere, I'd be wanting to figure out that problem pretty quickly. Um, and the whole incident to me, or the series of incidents, also underscores the importance of NORAD, which you know sort of gets mentioned every now and again, and um and you know, um has been doing important work. But wow, I'm so glad we have this institution and uh, this this mechanism for bilateral coordination on these kinds of topics. If we didn't have it now, we'd be wanting to invent it now.
0: Uh, in- indeed, uh, Chris, uh, you wanted to, I think, drive a point home. That a senior leader made in West, right?
2: Rear Admiral Mike Studeman, who is the commander of the Office of Naval Intelligence, his whole set of remarks, and and you know, ever since he, I've I've known him since he was a commander. I mean, and, and he was an early, I guess, um, zealot on making sure that we connected dots, and he um, he, he reiterated that message um, out in San Diego this week, and whether it was unit level commanders, whether it's strategic commanders in, in in each of the services or even the American people, we need to do a better job of connecting these dots and making people understand, again, whether it's the military making Congress understand, whether it's the national leadership making the American people understand how all of these things are connected if we're going to move uh, the needle on this, and obviously he's in a unique position at, um, you know, as a senior intelligence official, he sees much more than than we do, but um, his, his point about connecting the dots and really painting a clear picture, um, I, I think
0: needs to be foot stomped. Uh, and uh, he falls uh, right into uh, among the uh, important uh, American uh, intelligence agencies uh, that uh, shape uh, our, our broader uh, understanding of what's going on. And we, we heard a little bit of that again from General Brown um, and, you know, sort of an admonishment about what we heard from General Minahan, which is, you know, don't, don't take away from the goodness of your message by occasionally saying things that may be a little bit out of your lane. Uh, you know, he said, I, I don't know when whatever is coming with China, that's not my job. My job is to make sure that, you know, even if it's today or 10 years from now, the United States Air Force is, is, is ready to do its job, uh, which I thought was a very elegant and diplomatic way of, of doing that. Dov, um, some points on this before we shift to Munich and our uh, Russian friends.
1: Well, I, I think the shift should happen right here, because what we're seeing among uh, some people, and, and I ter- let me exclude Patrick immediately, he's not one of them, but there are too many people who've jumped on this balloon incident to say, see this is really what we should be focusing on and the implicit message is once the ukraine thing is settled one way or another we can go back and pay all our attention to china and you know mike studeman who's brilliant uh, and by the way the son of B- admiral bill studeman who uh, studeman who also comes out of the intelligence world so it's it was kind of an uh, you know he's a, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree there um, you know, Studeman's point about connecting the dots is extremely important in another way, which is to say, and, and I wrote about it in Today's Hill, you know, these bad guys, they don't operate Syriatum. They are coordinating. And we need to pay attention to that, because if we focus only on one, then we're in the, the not being able to walk and chew gum problem. And the, the issue with Russia is very simple. If they win, then they're going to be more aggressive, and if they lose, they're going to be revanchist. So one way or another, we're going to have a problem in Europe, and that doesn't mean that the problem in China is going to go away. And so we've got to be looking in more than one direction, which brings us all the way back to what we were talking about earlier. We need to spend more money on defense.
0: Um, I uh, couldn't uh, agree with you more, Dove. Right? I mean, there is this uh, notion uh, that you know somehow. But this gets resolved, and uh, the threat kind of goes away. And it is a great piece and a great uh, reminder uh, that you know he he's he's not going to stop being a threat. And the Chinese are you know you're not going to talk the Chinese. You know there's a sense of you know well we're escalating with the Chinese. The the Chinese have been escalating with us steadily for decades. It's only now dawning on us that sort of the Anglo-Saxon Western can't we all work this out so that it's in everybody's advantage not to get into a conflict. And if, you know, Adolf Hitler has decided he's going to take this to conflict in his mind in 1933, around 1940, you might not be able to talk him out of it. And he might be just interested in getting as many benefits out of it in the meantime, before he executes his plan. And I think it's sort of baffling, you know, well, you know, Putin could still go nuclear and it's important to get the Ukrainians to negotiate this I, okay, uh, all that does is tell Russia it should continue its nuclear uh, rhetoric. Uh, ultimately, uh, well, let me
1: just let me also footstomp something that Kathleen said, which is the cooperation with Canada. I think that a lot of people sat up when they saw that Justin Trudeau was working hand in hand with Joe Biden on the balloon issue. It underscores something that, you know, really is a turnabout from the last administration, which is we've all watched how the U.S. has united NATO. Now we're seeing how the U.S. and Canada are working hand in hand. That is a major message. And of course, somehow the next administration has to continue that message.
0: Um, Kathleen uh, and uh, then uh, Patrick or Patrick and Kathleen, whichever one of you wants to go first. (laughs)
3: I just wanted to emphatically agree with um, Dove's analysis on um, on China versus versus Europe and, and prioritization, and this notion that we we could, you know, if, if as the conflict in Ukraine winds down in the future, that we could prioritize China and just leave NATO on autopilot and things will be fine. That is such a false choice strategically, in so many ways. Um, not only what Doug was saying, but also if there is, God forbid, a an Indo-Pacific China contingency, we will need our European allies and partners in so many ways, not only to give um, international political support to any um, uh, actions that we would take in that scenario, but also to help keep the, you know, the things copacetic or, or deter, basically to deter uh, Russian aggression and, and, and opportunism during that that kind of scenario. So th- this this idea that you know we we ought to be able to take advantage of either Russian um, incompetence on the battlefield or um, that that uh, Ukraine wins and we can just prioritize the next thing. It's it's fundamentally wrongheaded in in my view. Um, as Dove says, we need to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time.
0: <laughs> uh well that's uh uh that's a that's an excellent point, uh, Patrick, and then Chris, and then we uh, really do have to move on uh, to uh, Russia and, and uh, the rest, rest of Asia uh, really quickly. Go ahead, Patrick and Chris, I know you've got a quick point you want to add to this.
4: Well, I wanted to double down on Dove's point about the connectivity between what Russia and China is doing in terms of the strategic uh, political warfare campaign that they're waging. So the fact that Sergei Lavrov is behind uh, pushing the Seymour Hersh uh, article about uh, Nord Stream Uh, pipeline being supposedly sabotaged by on US orders last September. Um, You know, I find that uh, hard to believe. But but regardless, the the point here is what we know for a fact is that China and Russia are together in promoting this, and China's putting it into the larger uh, canvas of America's declining, uh, you know, their toxic fumes in Ohio trains that are derailed their gun violence, etc. And look at Fort Detrick, again, they're saying, um, so there's this Poisonous uh, wolf warrior diplomacy that's backed with a vengeance right now as part of their diplomacy toward the U.S., narrowly toward the U.S., while trying to soften their image in Europe uh, and their and in Asia. And they're following. following Singapore Professor Dawei put out a very interesting, thoughtful piece that's getting a lot of attention in the China community about how the U.S. is sort of determined to decouple, but we have to avoid reactive decoupling. And his advice to the CCP is to make sure that you Chinese officials um, uh, try to uh, be more forgiving about. Uh, toward U.S. allies and partners, but not toward the U.S. And it's a very interesting, and, and that political warfare campaign is this protracted political war that we are engaged in with China and Russia, um, and uh, it doesn't mean that it won't escalate, but it does mean that this campaign is being waged very effectively during this Ukraine war, during this balloon diplomacy, uh, and in future episodes as well.
2: Chris? Yeah, I mean, we, we've all become fond of um, saying that we need to be able to chew bubblegum and walk. And and I absolutely believe that that's the case. But I, I think that it is important to point out that our inability or our reflexive desire to not... Chew bubble gum and walk in the strategic sense is really a result of us being underprepared. DoD wants to focus on a single theater threat because they know that they are not prepared both from a um, from a stuff standpoint, from a, a munitions and 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 from a an equipment standpoint, and and also from an intellectual standpoint. And I think you're going to see that as this thing plays out longer and longer. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. The administration has tried very hard to tamp down this, you know, Ukraine or China reflex from from DOD, um, but I I think you're going to see as resources become tough and uh, and as you have difficult budget discussions throughout the year, I think you're going to see more splintering um, as DOD really struggles to decide how they um, lay out their resources to be able to deal with
0: this very complex you know, multi-theater problem. It's, it's, it's also a, a people issue, right? So almost every part of our equation, as we've heard from one military leader after another, again, I mean, not to bring up General Brown, but I think that he also raised this. We've sort of optimized everything for efficiency, just in time delivery. We don't really need to do contested logistics. There were some of us who were talking about contested logistics a long time ago that went beyond, I'm just trying to get fuel in Afghanistan somewhere. That's contested logistics. It's a different uh, situation entirely given the way that we need to be able to do this. Uh, and uh, to get yourself the number of people, the number of assets, Ukraine is showing huge amount, I mean, I don't even understand why this is a, a, a surprise. We were losing huge amounts of equipment in Iraq and Afghanistan. So why, why wouldn't it, you know why, why is it we're not sort of calculating that entire squadrons of F-35s and B21s and C17s would be lost. And oh, by the way, I mean, last time I checked, there's a lot of manpower that gets associated, people power that gets associated with that, and we don't even have the bodies to man the ships properly, right? Which is the reason why we don't have the dry dock space. We're not fixing the ships because we're not fixing the ships. The sailors don't have enough ships; they can't get them underway. And then what do we do? We fire the commanding officers because they can't get underway. Instead of looking at sort of the bigger problem uh, that that may be associated with this, which is which is just absurd. Um, but uh, and Dove, I just wanted to say, uh, I too, whenever I hear the name Studeman, I think we're dating ourselves. Think of Admiral Bill Studeman uh, as opposed to his son, who is a, an accomplished naval uh, leader in his own right. I'm going to pause the conversation for one uh, moment to urge our audience to check out our weekly podcast, Canvas Ships. Hosted by Chris Cavus and Chris Cervello, uh, who we're hearing uh, from uh, as we speak, uh, sponsored by HII, and they together helped clear the fog on naval and maritime matters and went live uh, throughout uh, the three days of the West Conference in San Diego. The Downlink with Laura Winter, who takes a thoughtful look at all things space, and our new Air Power podcast, sponsored by GE Aerospace, uh, with JJ Gertler and uh, me. So let's shift to uh, Verkunda. Uh, excuse me. The Munich Security Conference, originally uh, 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 started by uh, uh, Kleist as uh, Verkunde Tagung. Um, what do we expect uh, to hear um, over the coming days, uh, and how is this meeting different? For example, like last year, everybody was warning. Uh, And Vladimir Zelensky was there. And days afterwards, the war actually started. Uh, You know, we've heard from the secretary general that, I mean, he did warn and everybody was warning the Russians not to do this. They've done it. It now looks like Belarus is going to come in uh, with uh, another prominent role in the wake of uh, the Lukashenko meeting uh, with Putin. Um, I mean, what is it that we expect to hear? And is there a sense from all of you guys that we're going to move as fast as we need to move to be able to help uh, Ukraine Right. I mean, the Russians are brilliant. They're taking the gap between when the armored vehicles arrive and the tanks arrive to try to clobber and 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 make as many
1: gains as they can. First of all, I think some of the news is going to be about uh, the Chinese foreign minister's speech because he's going to be there. And uh, in a way, he's probably going to try with Russian uh, encouragement to deflect uh, the attendees from their fo- total focus on Ukraine and probably and you know the Chinese have been playing this game of hostility to us but reaching out to the Europeans and I think you're going to see that uh, in Munich. Uh, Patrick can probably expand on that. The The other thing is that uh, I'm starting to hear from some of my European friends that one way to really <clears throat> accelerate aid to Ukraine in a meaningful way, because we know the tanks are taking time, and and the aircraft still haven't even agreed upon, is to get them more artillery tubes and more shells. Easier to do that. And by the way, if you want to start (laughs) destroying enemy infantry, that's still the best way to do it. Uh, That's always been the Russian method. And the Ukrainians have been pretty good at it when they've had a chance and when they've had the equipment. So that may be something that they should agree upon, whether they will agree upon, whether it'll all just be words, uh, we'll have to wait and see.
0: Patrick, uh, your sense on what we're going to be hearing from the Chinese uh, delegation, right? I mean, and this is coming as European leaders are criticizing China uh, for working with Russia as well as uh, South Africa of all uh, nations on a naval exercise, right, as this first anniversary uh, draws near. What, what, what are we going to be hearing uh, from the Chinese side, do you think? And what do you think the Chinese are going to take away from this meeting?
4: Well, I think the Chinese are going to try to convey the message to Europe that uh, a continuation of this war for another full year or beyond is going to cripple their economy and the global economy and put at risk their long-term interests. So uh, he'll be trying to portray this conflict not as Russian aggression, uh, as the Transatlantic Alliance clearly sees it as, uh, but instead as an opportunity for Europe to suddenly find an off-ramp toward uh, economic growth. Um, I don't think they're going to buy that, but nonetheless, uh, if we read The Economist this week and read about this interesting academic study just done on Chinese propaganda, it apparently works to soften the image of the CCP. And so Wang Yi's message will probably uh, at least find some favor of people who want to get back to business. And yet, here we are in this critical moment, this year anniversary mark uh, of Russia's uh, February 24 invasion of last year. Um, and uh, we haven't, we've seen reports of a buildup on the border, uh, and this could escalate very quickly from a Russian perspective to try to make a, a surge after these, this diplomacy, and yet Vice President uh, uh, Harris uh, at Munich will deliver a major speech about unity, unity, unity. Uh, President Biden will be in Poland with President Duda on, on Monday, Tuesday, uh, and um, talking about uh, unity. And meet with the, the Bucharest 9 countries as well, NATO's uh, critical eastern flank that came together after the annexation of Crimea and Russia's initial foray into uh, Ukraine in 2014. So um, we're at a critical moment. China will try to deflect that unity, uh, and America will try to strengthen the unity.
0: The unity message is important. And what's interesting over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, right, I mean, we, we have been saying... And talking about the importance of doing more uh, for Ukraine to help, and you know, we we criticize the White House. I have to say that some of our allies and partners look at this as um, almost um, a, a great case study on how to bring the whole alliance together. An alliance that on February the twenty second of twenty twenty two was very divided. Uh, the French and the German assessments were fundamentally different than what the United States, for example. Uh, and the UK were saying and how this sort of incrementalist approach has ensured, and I think we've heard this from General Ben Hodges, uh, who's now at SEPA, the former US Army Europe commander, bringing everybody together and that we will get to a combat aircraft decision the importance will be that we will get there uh, t- together, even though I, I agree with, uh, uh, you know, that, that speed is of the essence. Kathleen?
3: Well, also what happened this week was the NATO ministerial, which um, happy Valentine's Day to all NATO nerds. Um, having a, a Valentine's Day uh, <laughs> NATO ministerial is, is is always a wonderful thing. What the ministers discussed... Um, And I think what we're going to be chewing on at Munich and in the road to the summit uh, this summer in Vilnius are the... the the, the fundamental reconsideration of some of the strategic choices that NATO and its member states have made over the you know, since the end of the Cold War. Uh, we spoke earlier about the prioritization of efficiency over effectiveness uh, when it came to U.S. defense spending and, and the defense program, and that's playing out in Europe as well. There's a recognition that they don't have the kind of industrial base needed to to. Really fight and in, in the, these wars to supply Ukraine and to um, deter Russia in the future. And so, you know, how do you go about reinvigorating those those the industrial base across the thirty allies? How do you make sure that the um, the overall spend actually amounts to real capability, given the the inherent fragmentation of European um, and transatlantic defense industry? Um, how how do you like the next level it's one thing to say we need to reinvigorate supply chains and we need to reinvigorate the defense industrial base and that sort of thing. but exactly how you go about doing that is an enormously complex set of questions um Second you know the the um the allies are looking at, reconsidering their defense investment pledges. Um, the, the defense in plus investment pledge was agreed in 2014 in Wales uh, that the NATO allies would spend 2% of GDP on defense. And now there's this debate out there as to whether or not that 2% needs to be the floor, not the ceiling, and whether or not there's a political appetite for uh, across NATO allies to do so. Um, So the that's going to be playing out as as we go to Vilnius. Um, the inherent challenge with the defense investment pledge and you know, thinking about things in terms of floors and ceilings, it, all of it's an input metric. And really what we, what we need to see is real capability and having the, uh, the capability amount to more than some of its parts across the alliance. And so, there, again, there's this next level of detail. How to do this in a way that actually improves effectiveness uh, remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, but I, I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's not that hard, really. Um, it's not that hard. If you spend the money, you will get the output. Uh, Chris, Wright, Not necessarily, production right? production.
3: Mean, we We spent how much in Afghanistan, uh, and we had a strategic failure, right? I mean, inputs are really important, and it's true that um, you're probably going to have a better chance or of having a successful outcome with more spending. But there is much more to do on top of that that would make a, makes militaries effective.
2: i I think you're i think you're both right i mean i I take kathleen's point that you know you can't just make one line hot um across all of the allies and uh and and, you know you bought more whatever and it's going to fix it so there's absolutely a strategic um component to this and the fact the progress that the alliance has made over the last year is is eye-watering to those that really believe in the alliance and watched it suffer for four years under president trump but at the same time, I do think that there are lots of things that, at least in the United States, we could do in the short term to try to help um, create a groundswell of uh, of tactical advantage that, that helps make some of those strategic decisions better. I mean, I, I really do think we could be using the Defense Production Act. A a lot um, more in the short term. I mean, we we know it's going to take a year to get a a budget for 24 together. It may or may not pass, depending on politics. So if I'm in the executive branch, I'm trying to pull every lever I have at my disposal to get some of the lines that haven't been as hot as we want them to be to be uh, you, you know hotter, if you will. We know it takes 18 months to to build um short range to medium range m- missiles whether they're ground launched or air launched let's do everything we can to drive that number down while we're right. trying to figure out the strategy so I-, I think that you have to do the big movements at the top but i would love to see the administration pull at least some test levers to to try to jump
0: start the process so we're not waiting couldn't uh, agree with you more. We're going into a little bit of a lightning round. Patrick, uh, other news uh, er, across uh, the Asia Pacific we need to be paying attention to, including uh, uh, Laura Rosenberger's de- decision uh, to uh, step down. And Dov, uh, you've got to give us a quick is- uh, update, uh, certainly on Israel, but uh, as well as Iran. Terrific NPR story, uh, national public radio story that, that, that you know, I- Iran has fundamentally changed in the wake of uh, of, of these uh, protests, uh, whether or not uh, more people are being hung, arrested or demonstrating. But uh, go ahead, Patrick, give us a kind of a quick update on all the other Asia news that we need to be paying attention to.
4: Well, let me just start with Laura Rosenberger. I mean, she's done incredible work uh, with the Kurt Gamble and, and the team uh, at the White House past two years on China. Um, and uh, it's a tireless Thankless job in many ways. Um, she's just been remarkable. It'll be interesting to get her outside uh, and, and hear some of the stories that of the things that she's worked on. Um, I think uh, in terms of other news, let me just start with the fact that this week on the 22nd at the Pentagon, that's the date when they're going to have this secret um, tabletop exercise with our South Korean allies looking at uh, a new series of annual exercises with North Korean nuclear use as part of the scenario, and they're going to then do a site visit down to Kings Bay uh, naval base to, to take a look, presumably at SSBNs, including those that can fire uh, low-yield nuclear weapons. I would suspect um, we're going to also. We saw also the Ministry of National Defense out of Korea issue their uh, latest uh, biennial white paper. They've been doing this since 1988 to kind of highlight uh, their own progress. Uh, make transparent the North Korean threat and and they called North Korea an enemy, which is no surprise. It hadn't been called that for the last couple of white papers during a progressive government. Um, But more interesting was how they uh, saw the strategic partnership with Japan growing. And I think that was a really good sign. Um, In fact, you have uh, Foreign Minister Hayashi at uh, Munich um, and he'll be he'll be uh, preparing uh, and paving the way for the G7 uh, uh, leaders to meet in uh, Hiroshima. Uh, in May, where both the Ukraine war unity effort is on on the agenda in a big way, uh, as well as dealing with China in Asia, um, I think you also uh, saw this week uh, the Philippines U.S. relationship, including with Japan, um, expanding. There are the Chief of Naval Operations will be in, in Manila. Secretary of Defense uh, Austin will have a, another phone call with his uh, defense counterpart uh, Galvez, um, and you you saw the uh, Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement recent announcement of four new sites to be determined exactly where they are, although it's clear that they're on both the South China Sea and the northern Luzon area uh, that could uh, be critical in a Taiwan uh, scenario. So that's progressing and very important. And President Marcos has come out and made very public statements poor uh, It's really China's activities in and around the Philippines and around the South China Sea that have made this necessary and that he's really driven home uh, this alliance again after uh, the fallow years uh, under Duterte. Um, I think other news uh, is the trilateral uh, uh, China-Russia-South African uh, second naval exercise off the coast of South Africa go on for the next 10 days. Very ill-timed for uh, optics, if you ask me, uh, because this is the first year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Nonetheless, uh, it speaks to the fact that all three of these countries like to uh, talk about a a non-U.S. centered order uh, to some extent for South Africa. They also just have a a strong interest in beefing up some maritime capability uh, around their critical coast.
0: Very uh, interesting, to say the least. Dov, bring us home on Israel uh, and uh, Iran.
1: Okay. On Israel, the uh, controversial uh, legislation to subordinate the Supreme Court to the legislature has passed its first reading. Despite the fact that the the President Herzog of Israel made a rare uh, TV uh, public appeal to uh, the uh, government not to move so quickly on this issue, but to try to work a compromise. In addition, President Biden for the first time issued a very short statement, pretty much saying the same thing. Uh, but they did pass that first reading. Uh, there are multiple readings. Uh, it's kind of like the British Parliament as well, before the uh, law actually uh, is finalized. Uh, but the uh, proponents of this law, just they're saying, we don't want to give way. And one of the reasons they don't, uh, actually, it's it's a combination of reasons. The religious uh, uh, haredim, uh, they simply uh, know that the Supreme Court has always held them back in terms of the kinds of... Uh, exemptions they want so they're after the supreme court uh the settlers hate the supreme court because it keeps declaring palestinian land to be palestinian land and of course netanyahu hates the supreme court cuz they are saying that he's got a conflict of interest uh in uh trying to uh, avoid uh you know jail time and so uh this this uh unholy alliance Uh, is determined to push this law through. We'll see what happens. The pressure is is really heating up both from the American Jewish community and from the administration. As for Iran, uh, two things. First, uh, yes, as you mentioned, uh, the NPR story, uh, more women are not covering their hair, for example, which I think is the uh, canary in the coal mine in terms of uh, what is gonna be the ultimate fortune of this regime but uh, let's not assume it's going to happen anytime quickly. These guys, these ayatollahs are very, very uh, resilient and they have all the guns behind them. So they may be, uh, as Lenin used to say, uh, one step forward, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, it, it, this could be their, their policy. Interestingly, um, the uh, president of Iran, Raisi, uh, was this week in China and he and she made statements about uh, lifting the sanctions against Iran, uh, which, of course, the West is in no mood for doing right now. Uh, but also it was meant to accelerate the 25 uh, year deal between these two countries for Chinese investment and cooperation. And the truth of the matter is the Chinese are not exactly moving quickly because they've actually uh, got more business going with Saudi Arabia and they want to man- manage that balance. Uh, And uh, it looks like Raisi didn't come back home uh, with with much to show for except uh, nice words from President Xi. Uh,
0: And uh, since you mentioned uh, Xi and Raisi, Patrick, you now get uh, the last word.
4: Xi Jinping wants a closer rapport with Iran um, and yet at the same time with Saudi Arabia. So they're going to continue to have to balance their interests in the Gulf. But either way, they're going to be expanding their influence in this region
0: everybody uh thanks very much for what was a terrific uh discussion we had more things uh to discuss than we had time for uh spirited discussion and exchange really appreciate it uh from you all hope everybody has a great weekend a great holiday weekend uh, a great week and look forward to having you guys back on next week as a production note uh the sunday roundtable will not happen on sunday but will be uh on monday uh the uh, that is going to reschedule the week ahead. But, you know, the following week, uh, Sam uh, and Byron uh, will be joining us. Uh, Thanks so very much uh, again to you all. And uh, thanks very much again to Bell for their generous support to make this program possible. We'll see you again on Monday. Thanks very much.